Here we go. Verse 11, it says this. Pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provision for yourself. This is a verse that Alan Iverson read before he played the Bulls. For within three days, you will cross over Jordan. (laughs) It's in the Bible, y'all. It's in the Bible. (laughs) To go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. They also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God has given them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side. Somebody say on this side. Not on that side. On this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Father God, we declare that you are great. You do miracles so great. Because of that, God, you deserve all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. We're grateful for this opportunity to be in your presence. God, we pray that what you do in this room, in that bedroom, in that kitchen, in that living room in Baltimore, God, that it wouldn't stay in this room, but that it would spill out and impact every single person that we come in contact with. We'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen. Amen. We are in week two of a series called Crossover, Crossover. We're bringing a little bit of March Madness, a little bit of basketball uh, to your life. Any basketball fans? Any basketball fans? Come on, Baltimore. Hey, if you're online, type in your favorite basketball team. Anybody you could care less about basketball, you just, come on, just go ahead. Shame the devil. I just, I don't know. I don't care. God bless you. We will have a prayer line for you people after service. But the whole idea of a simple crossover is simply you're trying to get the enemy's weight this way, and then you cross over the other way to create space for either a shot or a score. It's a, it's a fake me out. It's a sleight of hand. It's a you thought I was going this way. No, I'm actually going that way. And what you could find throughout scripture, and I might be stretching for this one, But throughout scripture, you will see that it looks like history is going this way. And all of a sudden, it's a setup for God to go the exact opposite direction. And as he did it in scripture, so he is doing it in our lives. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has in store for us. I don't know if you are wondering this, but let me clear this up. Merging with another church was never part of my five-year plan, 10-year plan, 15 or 50-year plan. My plan was to pastor Destiny Church for the rest of my life. And then God came and said, I have a different plan. I'm crossing over in a different direction. And I've been walking with God long enough to know that you stick with him. I love what Moses said. God says, I'm done with you people. You go into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. Moses said, if you don't go, I'm not going. And then he said this. He said, God, if you don't go with me, what will distinguish me from everybody else? Moses understood the only thing that makes me different is the presence of God on my life. And I'm, somebody say, I'm going to stick with the presence. I'm going to stick with the presence, even if it's a curveball, even if it's out of left field, because I know that all things work together for my good according to his purpose. I want to preach a message today called, You Fight Anyway. You fight anyway. The fight that is in front of you is inevitable. So if you have to fight, you might as well win. 
This passage that we're reading in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua's going through the camp, and he's the new leader. Moses has passed away, and God says, it's now time to enter into the promised land, to enter into all that I promised your ancestors 40 years ago. Joshua goes to the camp. Hey, guys, it's moving time. It's moving time. We're getting ready to move. We're getting ready to go into the promise. Prepare yourself. Grab provisions. Get ready. We're going in. But then he gets to the tribe of Gad, the Reubenites, and half of Manasseh. And when he gets there, his story changes. He doesn't say, hey, pack up your things, grab your provisions, we're getting ready to go in. To these two and a half tribes, he says, hey, pack up your things, leave your family and your wives behind, remember your promise. Because here's what happened for the Reubenites and the tribe of Gad. Before they went across the Jordan, before they got into the promise, they found a piece of land that looked good to them. There was no enemy in the land. The enemy had already been destroyed. There was no need for a fight. There was no adversary, and there certainly were no giants. And they said, this is, can I give you a curse word in church? Good enough. They said, this is good enough. Why enter into the promised land that we're going to have to fight for instead of just settling here? This is better than where we came from. At least we're not slaves. This is good enough. And they decided they didn't want to cross into the promise that God had for them. They decided they didn't want a land flowing with milk and honey because they had found a place to settle. Good enough is one of the most dangerous things you could ever encounter. Good enough is I've made it a step past pain. Good enough is I've survived that tragedy and I'm still breathing. Good enough is I can finally pay my bills on time. Instead of, when is the grace period? When does it have to hit before the charges start? Good enough is at least we're not yelling and screaming at each other. It's civil. Good enough is if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. And just hear me, Jesus did not hang on a cross and breathe his last breath, go to hell and snatch the keys of death, hell and the grave from the enemy and say, all authority has been given to you here on earth for us to live a life that is good enough. He said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. But for so many people, we find ourselves trapped in settling and good enough if I'm fine. Next week, I'm going to encourage you. This week, my goal is to irritate you. My goal is to agitate you out of I'm good and to get your eyes on, yes, but what does God have next for you? Why in the world would Destiny Church merge with I-5 City? Like, it's a great church. I know I'm a little biased, but it's a great church. Hundreds of people are getting saved, and we're big and impacting the community. Hundreds of people are getting baptized. Like, this is, this is, this is, this is good enough. This is good enough. God didn't call us to good enough. God called us to revival in this region. God called us to take a city and to flip it upside down for the glory of God. God called us to create a place where it is difficult not to know Jesus if you live in the DMV. And here's what you have to understand. It's not just your church that's crossing over. I believe what's happening in the natural is only a picture of what God wants to do in your life in the spiritual. I believe that you're getting ready to step into a new level of influence, step into a new level of favor, step into a new realm that you didn't even think, ask, or pray for. Hear me. 
The church that you go to matters. That's a real bold statement. I know, I said I'll encourage you next week. This ain't that week. (laughs) The church that you go to matters because where you're planted dictates the nutrients that your spirit man receives and you will reproduce what you receive. Somebody say, prove it. I love when y'all say that. Psalm 92, 13, it says this. Those who are planted. Somebody say, planted. I told y'all I'll encourage you next week. Can I get in trouble? Come on, online. It didn't say those who tune in. And I know, don't go. Stay out some scythe masters. Calm down. Whoa. Y'all just liked your first Sunday in church. You've been in your house 12 months straight. You're like, hey, talking to me. Calm down. And I get we're at the end of a pandemic and we're still slightly concerned about safety and all that other good stuff. So hear me, no condemnation if you're watching online. But just because you tuned in online doesn't mean you're planted. To be planted is, this is my church. I'm in a connect group. I'm doing life with other people. I'm giving to this house. I'm serving in some way. This is not a place where I receive a good word. This is home. God says those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. I don't know why I'm feeling all ignorant and prophetic today. I think this pandemic has exposed a lot of people and discovered that I was never planted in a church. I was just attending a church. And when the nourishment of the world dried up, I realized that I wasn't receiving what I needed from God because God says, I need to be. How about we make 2021 the year that we're planted? How about we make this a year that we cross over from a consumer to a contributor? How about we make a decision that this is not going to be a year where I date God, where I watch God, but this is going to be a year where I say, God, I'm all in. All that I am, I surrender to you. Have your way with me. And watch him do things in your life that are above and beyond all that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. If you're going to settle, don't settle at the edge of the promise. Like if you're going to settle, settle at year 10, not at year 39 and a half when you are three days away from all that God has promised you. And this is when they settle. This is when you decide you don't want to go any further. After the hailstorms, after the plagues, after the fire on Mount Sinai. Now is when you, we don't realize how close we are to the breakthrough that we've been crying out to God for. The thought crossed my mind. Why in the world would they settle so close to their promise? Why would I settle close to what God has for me. The first thought is this, because I'm tired of looking. I'm just, I'm just tired. You know, sometimes because you can read a passage or a story in the Bible in 20 minutes, we feel like it took 20 minutes. And listen, they weren't waiting on a promise for 20 minutes. If I had more than what I have on this clock to preach this message, I would tell you how Moses shows up after 40 years of being gone and saying, what's up, God? This guy. Where you been at? We've been building this here pyramid for 40 years. My bad, my bad. I was out in the wilderness hearing from God, but I got a word. He has a promise, a land flowing with milk and honey that's for you. Guess what happened? After they got the word, Pharaoh doubled their labor and pulled back their resources. They went through 10 plagues until finally Pharaoh said, get out of my face. I don't want to see you. They're like, yes, we get to go to the promised land. They go out into the wilderness, end up at the Red Sea. Pharaoh comes to kill them. 
And God has to part the sea for them to walk through on dry ground, which, by the way, is a prophetic picture of God water baptizing an entire nation in one night. Because baptism is a symbol of coming out of bondage and stepping into the promise that God has for you. Just a quick little side note. The Egyptians go in. Can I give you another baptism picture? The Egyptians go in that water thinking that they're going to cross through on the same dry ground and that water comes crushing down and it says their enemy they saw no more because water baptism is a symbol of the things that used to hold me, used to bind me, used to pull me back are now covered in the power of God. Then they get into the wilderness. Fast forward for 40 years. 40 years hearing about a promise that they never saw. 40 years hearing about it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and it never came. They sent spies into the land of what God had promised them, and they found 10 feet men, giants all around. They said, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. I'm sick of waiting on this promise. I'm good here. I find sometimes we could get tired of pursuing the promise that God has for us because it's taken longer than we thought it would. Not only can we get tired of pursuing the promise, but it's very difficult to pursue a promise that we've never actually seen ourselves. I heard an interview from LeBron James. He was talking about marriage. And he said, not one person in my family has ever been married. He said, I have never seen a marriage in my family. So me and my wife are trying to create something that we've never seen. It's difficult to stay motivated to go after something that you've never seen. If you've never seen someone debt free, you've never seen someone pay off the mortgage on their house, you've never seen someone leave a million dollars to their grandchildren, then it's really difficult to go on this journey of, hey, I'm going to be a good steward of my finances. I'm going to pay my debt off one by one by one by one. I'm going to save. I'm going to invest. It's difficult to continue and consistently go after something that you've never seen. If you've never seen God use somebody in a mighty way that was not a pastor, You've never seen someone who was not a pastor pray for the sick and see them healed or lead people to Christ or impact people's lives for the glory of God. It's very easy to say, well, I'm in church and I'm loving God. This is good enough. It's really difficult to go after things that you've never seen. And I love how the Bible, it's so detailed. Joshua said, You can stay in the land that Moses gave you. It didn't say stay in the land that God gave you. It didn't say stay in the land that God promised you. It says you can stay in the land that Moses gave you permission to stay in. Can I be, I always ask for permission to be ignorant, and it's okay. This is going to be one of those let your haters be your motivators moments. Y'all ready for this? You got to understand how bitter Moses was. Moses was the guy that was supposed to lead Israel into the promise. But because Moses was anger management before anger management was anger management, and he struck the rock instead of speaking to it the way that God told him to. God said to Moses, you will never go into the promised land. So watch this. The person that was not allowed to go in gave permission to other people. You don't have to go in either. Be mindful. Living a life approved by people that have never seen the promises of God come to pass in their own life. What we find is people say, oh, come on, you're, you're being extra. You're you're, you're being presumptuous. God's not going to do that. God, this this is normal. This is average. This is, no, no, this is your normal. This is your average. This is your life. And because it's your life, you want it to be mine as well. No, 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 no. All the promises in God's word are yes and amen. Not just because he didn't do it for my parents, he won't do it for me. 
or just because he didn't do it for you doesn't mean he's not going to do it for me. I'm going to build my life on his promises, not your experiences. You ever going to take a risk? You told the wrong person. Maybe you were thinking about quitting your job and starting your own business. And it wasn't like this, oh, I quit, now what am I going to do? But you actually did it with wisdom. You saved up six to 12 months worth of income and, hey, I have money, so if this doesn't take off the way that I thought it was going to take off, I still have a parachute and you plan and you strategize and you're ready to take the leap, but you made the mistake of telling the wrong person. And just because they started a little paper route 40 years ago and they went bankrupt and had a garage full of newspapers because they couldn't sell them, now they're trying to tell you, well, you, the economy's changed. You know, it's a completely different world with this pandemic. You know, the, you just can't fight with the big companies anymore. You know, it's just Amazon is the world and the rest of us, we, you do, no, that's your story. That's your experience. But I'm not going to allow someone who can't go in to allow me to settle for less than what God's promised me. Said, hey, I'm tired of fighting. Here, here's the second thought. I think they quit and they stopped on that side because they were tired of fighting. They were tired of waiting and they were tired of fighting. All throughout the wilderness, it's battle after battle after battle after battle to fight this country and fight that country and fight this country. And then you get to the edge of the promise and you see the biggest fight of all in front of you. He's here. Philistines, the descendants of Anak, men 10 feet tall. I could just hear the truth. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought the promise of God came with no drama. You know what? I love when you have Bible to back up your misinterpretation of Scripture. You know, the Bible says that when God adds wealth, it comes with no sorrow. Yeah, it's talking about wealth. It's not talking about your destiny. It's not talking about the promises that God has for you. It's not talking about raising godly children. It's not talking about having a marriage that's thriving and going from glory to glory to glory. It's not talking about maximizing the anointing of your life and, and the ministry that God's called. Anything that God's promised you, it comes with a fight, baby. Like, there's no such thing. You know that dumb song? I hate that song. Easy like Sunday morning. Ever since I've been in ministry, I have not had one easy Sunday morning in my life. I work on Sundays, by the way. And it's a fight. Every single Sunday. Anything that God's promised you, it's going to be a fight. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I don't feel like fighting anymore. Oftentimes you'll hear that from parents. And I'm just exhausted. You little baby kids, I don't even know where they came from. Just, just go ahead, live your life. <laughs> you may hear that from people that just having a difficult time in marriage or Man, my business is just plateaued for a season. And I'm just I'm tired of fighting. Reuben Gad, this is good enough. We're not going to fight anymore. Look what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 32, verse 16. It says, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock. This is good enough. And cities for our little ones. We're good. But we ourselves, watch this, will be armed ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. So here was the condition on which they were allowed to settle. God says, if you don't want what I've promised you, you don't have to have it. You can settle here on the other side of the Jordan under one condition, that you pick up your sword, you go into the promised land, and you fight on behalf of your brothers and sisters because they fought on behalf of you. 
So you don't get to skip the fight for the promised land. So if you want to stay on this side, that's fine. But you pick up your sword, you cross over that Jordan, you fight for your brothers and sisters to get what I've promised them, and then you come back here. I'm about to throw my glasses at you. If I have to go into the promised land, and I got to fight anyway, why in the world would I settle with less than God promised me when a fight is coming my way anyway? Can I? I'm, ah! I told you I'm going to get on your nerves today. For those of you that don't like to take risk, you don't like change. I just like it smooth, easy, no surprises. Hear me. We live on a spiritual battlefield where we have an enemy that will attack us whether we are in the fight or not. The Bible says that you have an enemy named Satan and he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And hear me, he's going to bring the fight to you whether you want to fight or not. So if you're going to fight anyway, I might as well take all that God has for me. If I have to fight if I settle, and I have to fight if I'm victorious, I might as well be victorious because the fight is the same. You deal with the same amount of spiritual warfare, playing life safe, as you deal with if you're going to take a God risk. Because it's not a matter of how many risks you take. It's a matter of every time Satan looks at you, he sees the image of God. And his mission is to wipe the image of God from the place, face of the planet. So you are an adversary whether you want to be or not. Here's one of the things that I'm very aware of. That one of the enemy's greatest goals is to destroy my marriage. Because he knows that if he can destroy my marriage and discredit my integrity, that it's going to affect thousands and thousands of people. So my wife and I, we love each other. We're committed to each other. We're having an amazing time together. But we are going to be attacked. So if we're going to fight for our marriage, it might as well be the best marriage that we can build because we're going to have to fight regardless. So why in the world would we settle for good enough when there's going to be fights and there's going to be pain and there's going to be drama, if not of our own doing, of outside effects? If you're going to fight, you might as well fight for the best that God has for you. As for me, as for you. There's no such thing as, I'm not in it. Nope, ain't got nothing to do with me. This got to do something with the kingdom of God, you know, the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. I don't got nothing to do. Well, you are the kingdom of God. You have to understand, there's no avoiding the fight. Man, I'm tired of looking. Tired of fighting. And the final reason why I feel like they settled is, I said, I'm tired of waiting. You know, Bishop Jake's phrase, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. And I can't do it. I'm like, get ready, get ready, get ready. 40 years later. <sighs> Well, I was ready. Now I'm exhausted. Now I'm just ready to go home. Because <laughs> this has been the longest wait of my life. I've learned the longer I wait, the better it is. And I'll tell you this, your pastor, I'm not going to use pastor, Stephen is one of the most impatient people you have ever met in your life. I will spend 10 minutes hopping through lines at a grocery store just to find the one that is fastest. <laughs> You'd have done better just to stand in the line with 12 people. You'd have been gone by now. I'm just, I hate waiting. But I've discovered the longer I wait, it's because it's bigger than I could ever ask, thought, or imagine. Reuben, Gad, Manassas, they're on this side of the Jordan. They're looking on the other side of the promise. And they said, we're not going in. This is good enough. We're settling here. And watch what they did. They built an altar to God on this side of the Jordan that was identical to the altar that was in the tabernacle. 
Because they said, we don't want to have to cross over every time we worship God and be reminded of what we're missing out on. So we're going to build, watch this, a fake replica that looks like an altar, smells like an altar, operates like an altar. The only thing missing is it doesn't have the presence of God on it. And they, they even named it an altar of remembrance. Because they said, we're going to be outside of God's presence here where we're settling. So we want to remember how great our God is. Since we're not going to be encountering him on this side. Joshua twenty two twenty five 25, it says this. For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. Your children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Israel said, you guys need to stay over there. Because if you intermingle with our children, you're going to teach them how not to have a reverence for God. Because you've decided how you want to worship God. You've built your own altar according to your own comfort, according to your own rules. The only problem is it's void of God's presence. And it'll never have you in a position where you're honoring and reverencing God. Ouch. Shoot, I might need to encourage you today. This was a little rough one. Here's the problem when I live life safe. I don't need to pray. When everything in my life is within my control, I have nothing to trust God for because it's all right in front of me. When everything goes according to my plan and according to my control, it gives me no reason to look from the hills from whence cometh my help because I don't need any help. Without even realizing, I look around and my faith is anemic because I don't have anything in my life that's causing me to work my faith out with fear and trembling. Here's what Israel said, y'all stay over there. Because your settling lifestyle that doesn't require faith in God can contaminate our children. And we want our children to live a lifestyle of no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive, God, what you have in store for me. So I put my hope, I put my trust, I put my faith in you. Real simple. Don't play yet. I got 12 more points. I wish I was joking. What's the last risk you took that increased your prayer life? What's the last step of faith you took that changed your prayers from dear God to oh God? I like those prayers. You just go something like this, oh God. If you don't, fill in the blanks. That's where your faith is stretched. That, 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 that's where you can no longer, I'm getting in trouble, rely on your sorority or fraternity or degree or rich uncle. You got a rich uncle? I did, but then 08, he ain't rich. Anyway. <laughs> When's the last time you were in a position of, God, if you don't come through, I don't know how this is going to work out. Because hear me, that's where faith is. That's where life is. That's where destiny is. Pastor, I'm, I'm settled. Especially with this pandemic. Not only have I settled, I ain't even left my house. <laughs> I'm just, how do I get out of this? How do I get back 
to that risk taker I was before I ever skinned my knee, before I ever fell off a bike, before my heart was ever broken. Three prayers that we need to pray. The first one is this. I need to close my eyes so that I can see. If you're going to get out of a place of settling in your life, if you're going to get out of a place of good enough, you're going to have to close your eyes so that you can see again. Huh? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 8 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In the Living Bible, it says this, I pray that your hearts, watch this, will be flooded with light so that you can see something of the future. He has called you to share. I want you to realize that God has made rich, made you rich because we who are Christ have been given to him. If Paul were here today, he'd tell you you're looking through the wrong eyes. If you're at a place of good enough in your life, it's because you're looking through these and you're not looking through this. Paul said, man, I wish the, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. You can see how beautiful your future is. That you can see how much more God has for you. That you can realize you haven't even scratched the surface. Here's the problem for so many of us, myself included. We fought so hard to get where we are. Finally breathing. Finally, have some level of peace. I can finally pay my bills. I'm finally loving God for more than three months at a time. I'm good. Because we fought so hard to get where we are, our mind can't even comprehend that there's more. Like, maybe we wouldn't say that we've settled, we would just say, I'm content. Like, Pastor, it's not even that I've settled. I'm grateful for all that God's done. He's brought me out of bondage, out of Egypt. I'm free. This is good enough. We can easily confuse contentment for complacency. Contentment is, God, if you never do anything else, you've done too much. God, I am so grateful for what you've done. Complacency is, I don't want anything else. I have no desire for more than I'm experiencing right now. God says, you need to close your eyes and open your heart to the purpose that I placed inside of you, that you would understand if you're still breathing, oh, there's so much life ahead of you. I, look, it says, David served his generation, and then he fell asleep. Meaning, until the last breath that he breathed, there was more life that God had for him, more impact that God had for him around. And the second his impact was done, God called him home. I don't mean to be morbid, but if you ain't dead yet, <laughs> there's more life that God has for you. How do I know when I've tapped out? When you did. <laughs> when you see that white light and Peter's looking on the list trying to find your name. <laughs> That's when you know there ain't no more in me. I gave it all. I left it all. Under. Until then, there's more purpose that God has for you. Somebody give God praise. Two more quick prayers. One is this. God... I need you to strengthen my hands for war. If we're going to take the promise, we need to learn how to fight God's way. Psalm 18.34 says this, he teaches my hands to make war. I love God's word. 
He doesn't teach your hands to defend yourself. This is not if the enemy comes, duck and dodge. No, I'm making war. I'm taking terror. I'm on the offense. The enemy should be terrified of me because wherever I go, the kingdom of God is going to be advanced. His glory is going to be revealed. Praise is going to go on to God. I'm not waiting for drama to come to me. I am drama to the enemy. He says, he teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. So we've been preparing for this merge with I-5 City. These last four months have been the greatest season of warfare I've ever experienced in 10 years of being a senior pastor. When I tell you, I mean hair, teeth, and eyeballs coming from every different angle. And I've learned enough to know if it's drama here and it's drama there, it's my fault. But if it's drama there, 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 and they're all disconnected scenarios, this is that verse when the enemy comes in like a flood where he's trying to overwhelm. And I'm talking about health crisis here and issue there and problem. And I, this, this is an attack of the enemy. This is a distraction from what God's called me to do. So I'll tell you this. Probably 18 years of being a Christian, I learned how to pray in the last four months in a way that I've never prayed before in my life. What we don't realize is prayer is one of our greatest weapons. Because prayer is not just me fighting against the enemy. Prayer is me releasing all the resources of heaven against what's standing in front of me. It's when I ask God to teach me how to fight that I realize that some of my victory is going to be brought through the opposite spirit that's opposing me. So sometimes we feel if you lied about me, I'm going to lie about you. If you stab me in the back, I'm going to stab you in the back. Tit for tat, kind for kind. Not realizing that in the kingdom of God, the spirit of God is greater than the spirit of the enemy. So as I respond in the opposite spirit of what the enemy is sending my way, that I find advancement and victory. I'll give you another thing to pray for. Pray for divine strategy. One of the ways Israel got in trouble is they went and they marched around Jericho and the walls came falling down. So then they came up to Ai, which was a smaller, less equipped country. And they thought because they had won the other victory that way, they would win the next victory that way. Boy, they got their tail handed to them. Watch this. The first time they'd ever experienced death on a battlefield. Because they assumed they knew how to go at it. We have to understand, the victory is ours, but the strategy is his. That you are victorious, but he's going to tell you how to have that victory. So God, I need you to speak to me. God, I have this boss that's harassing me, that's trying to get me out. God, what do I do? Do I pray, wait, and be patient? Do I go over their head? Do I quit and leave before they have an opportunity to fire me? God, what's the step? All could be right, but only one's going to be God. And until we say, God, I need you to show me the path that you would have me take unto victory. Until assuming, hey, I've seen this fight before. Any, 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 any brawlers, anybody, you just, you, just, you just one of them people. You be fighting other people's battles. It ain't even your problem, it ain't even your drama. You at Target, they're not letting somebody else return an item. It's not even your item. You ain't got nothing to do with you. No, that's not right. That's not right. She has the receipt right. Who are you? Okay, you're just taking on other people's fights. Some of us are like that. I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm just kind of justice is my deal. You ain't going to do them wrong. I don't even know them. We're so quick to jump in. God's like, no, no, that's not the weak part. That's not the door that I've opened for you. Then the last thing is this. If we're going to break out of a place of settling, we have to ask God to set eternity in our heart. 
Settling is all good if I never have to give an account for my life. Settling is great if the only person I'm accountable to is me. I, I think about if you're in sales or something like that, and, and you're a salesperson, you're out there selling some piece of machinery or whatever it may be. Let's just, just make this up. We're doing this on the spot. The machinery costs $30,000. You're supposed to get 60. Person says they'll give you 40. But you're an employee, not an owner. So it's not just a matter of, I'll take what I can get. It's a matter of whatever I get, I got to go back and report. How'd it go out there? I sold the piece of machinery. Great. How much you sell it for? 40? <laughs> 40. Our baseline is 60. Why'd you sell it for 40? Well, they took it. Yeah, but at 40, I can't pay you. <laughs> See how we have a problem? If I'm living for Stephen, settling's fine. But if I understand one day I'm going to stand in front of my creator and I'm looking him in the eye, I'm going to see love and I'm going to see grace and I'm going to see mercy. He's going to say, Stephen, I'm so glad to see you. Report. How'd it go? How were the 120 years that I gave you there on earth? I led 50,000 people into the kingdom of God. People got healed, saved. I was faithful to my wife, raised godly kids. Left an inheritance to my children's children. God, I left it all in the field. He said, 50? But I put 100 in you. I mean, 50 is more than many, but, but what about the other 50 that I called you to? Why'd you settle? Here's the thing. There's no guilt in heaven. There's no condemnation. There's just going to be those eyes. You left some of my kids behind. I'm glad you made it. But you didn't bring everything that I planned for you to bring with me. The Bible says, for the joy on the other side of the cross, Jesus endured the pain. In other words, his eyes were not locked on the fight in front of him. His eyes were not locked on the discomfort. His eyes were not locked on the giants or the battles. His eyes was locked on you and I that would become children of God on the other side of that cross. And he said, it's worth it. Yeah, I'm going to have to fight, but it's worth it. Yeah, it's going to be painful, but it's worth it. Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's worth it. I'm telling you, what God has on the other side of you not settling. It's going to be worth it. I don't know who this is for. I really just sense this preparing this message. If there's somebody that needs to hear, you're so close. You are so close to what God promised you. You are so close to stepping in to that vision that he gave you that you've been praying for for months, for weeks, for years. You're so close to that healing. You're so close to that breakthrough. Don't quit now. Don't settle now. I know it's painful. That's what a connect group is for. So they can cheer you on, wipe off your brow, and send you back in the fight. Because <laughs> your best days are ahead of you. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful that 
all the promises of God are yes and amen. God, in this moment, we say amen. Like Mary said, we said, let it be unto us according to what you promised in your word. Church, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. I feel like for all of us, God's showing us areas where we've maybe settled in our marriage or in our faith or in our finances or in our business. This moment you feel like you don't have another ounce to give in the fight. In this moment, God is strengthening your hands. He's flooding your heart with light so that you can see the glorious future that he has for you. Maybe you're hearing me right now, and if you were to be honest, you've never allowed God to dictate your life in the first place. Maybe you've been in fights, but it's fights on your own because you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Hear me. doesn't matter the mistakes of your past. God still has a future of eternity with him and impact here on earth. But it starts with your surrender to him. So if you say, Pastor, I've never surrendered my life to Christ. I believe in God. I've just never given him control of my life. Or maybe there was a season as a Christian where you did surrender to God, but you've relinquished control to yourself. Today's your day to come back to your father. That's you. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Father God, forgive me for not trusting. Forgive me for turning my back on you. Thank you for never leaving me, for never forsaking me. Thank you for allowing your son to die on a cross that he did not deserve so that I could be made whole. Be my Lord be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision? Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.